From the red and black, this is the front page. Today is Monday, May 10th, and in this week's episode, to wrap up the end of the semester, we will highlight one story from both the culture and opinion desks. And starting us off is Business Beat reporter Michaela Cohen. She is here to share her story about Athens musicians who started a nonprofit to bring free music education to public schools. Thanks so much for joining, Michaela. Of course, thanks for having me. To begin, who are the main people involved in this story and what is their nonprofit about? So, Natalie and Brian Smith are two Athens residents that are musicians and very talented musicians, and they came here in the late 90s. I think they both came here with ties to UGA and the, and the music program there, and then just kind of stayed here after that. And they have a family here, they have a house here, their whole lives are here, and they truly embody what it's like to live in the Athens community. And they started this nonprofit because they realized that their kids actually go to East Athens schools. And with their love of music, they saw that their kids' peers and classmates didn't have as much access to music education as they did. Of course, having you know musicians as parents, they can teach them how to play piano, guitar, and the flute. And they do, because I actually got to meet their kids and they invited me into their home to watch them give music lessons to kids via Zoom. And so what they do is as musicians, they give free music lessons to kids in the East Athens schools. And before the pandemic, they would actually go into the classroom and teach kids one-on-one or whether in small groups or to the class, just things about their instruments. And of course, you know, having gone through like the high school band system when I was in school, you just have one band director for maybe 200 kids. So one-on-one lessons is just completely out of the question. And so the people who play their instruments very well are usually getting outside lessons that their parents probably pay for or, you know, through other outlets. But it's really impossible to get that one-on-one connection with your instrument unless you have a one-on-one teacher teaching you. And so what Natalie and Brian did was started a nonprofit to be able to pay talented musicians in the Athens community to come into these schools. Great, and given that they are a nonprofit, how are they able to support themselves and their staff financially? Right, so one of the things that Natalie told me was that 85% of their budget roughly goes to musicians. So that means all of the money that they make is through donations, sponsorships, and fundraising events. And so kind of just with all of this, they're able to ask the community for help to give back to the community. And the community is completely at the heart of this nonprofit. Natalie wants to empower and embolden the kids, you know, kind of at the elementary, middle, and high school level to value music education. And so she's giving it to them free. That way they can become, you know, whether it's well-rounded citizens or just share their love of music also back with the community through performances and even maybe in the future becoming musicians that also teach kids how to play. And so they're able to completely fund their nonprofit through just the help of the community. Great. And since they kind of started the idea of Heart Music back in 2019, how did the pandemic affect their work? In the article, I kind of addressed how in 2019 was when they had that early conception of just something. And it wasn't even anything like it is now or like it was kind of right before the pandemic hit. But 
at the time the pandemic hit in March of 2020, they were only operating as they exist now for about two months. I think prior to January 2020, it was just Natalie and Brian going into different schools teaching flute and guitar lessons. And that was all they could do because those were their instruments. And so it was only for about two months before the pandemic hit that they were bringing in, I think, saxophone, a saxophone player, and just a couple of other instruments. And so they were kind of in the early stages and then the pandemic hit. So it's been throughout the pandemic that they've kind of like accumulated other musicians into their rankings, you know, to be able to provide more different diverse lessons to kids. But the pandemic changed what they were doing because it kind of put it to a halt for a while because like most things that happened at the school level was that they just couldn't do anything. So they just stopped for a while. And I think it was in the summer, kind of into the fall when they were able to pick back up and they just hit the ground running and have brought more musicians on and have been able to go into more classrooms and teach more kids. Well, awesome. Thanks so much, Michaela, for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Lastly, we have outreach manager and news writer Dania Kalaji to share her Ramadan experience as a Muslim college student at UGA. Thanks much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about it and um, share more with you. Wonderful. Well, first, can you explain to me how you celebrate Ramadan and how college has affected the way you practice it? Right. Okay. So every year when the ninth month on the Islamic calendar approaches, we have this period of fasting called Ramadan. So it is a 30-day fasting period. And during this time, we don't eat or drink any food from sunrise to sunset. And it's basically just a time of, you know, self-improvement, you know, reflecting on things that have happened in the past year and just trying to do better and like have a better sense of community. So Every year for Ramadan, I, you know, usually do with my family at home in Pensacola, Florida. It's obviously been very different being here in college because this is the first year that I've done it alone. So I guess I felt this feeling of loneliness that, you know, I haven't really experienced thus far in my 20 years of my life. So it's been, it's been a little hard to adjust and I guess, you know, go through all these hours in the day without drinking any water, eating any foods, you know, that counts medications, vitamins, gum, you know, I'm, I said, I am even really careful with brushing my teeth because I don't want to swallow any of my saliva or swallow any of the toothpaste. So it's, it's been a little hard to adjust, but it's kind of crazy how I'm already approaching the very end of the period. Eid is coming up on uh, May 12th. So it's weird how quickly it's gone by, but it's honestly been better than I thought it would. Great. And can you also share some of your experiences growing up with this holiday and how you've kind of developed more and more as you've grown throughout the years? Right. So I didn't really fully start strictly fasting until I was about 15 years old. Growing up, it was something that I would, you know, try here and there every year. So there'd be like a few days when I was like, you know, 12 or 13 and I would, you know, do some days fasting and obviously fail. It was a very much like a trial and error type thing. So whenever I first strictly started doing it, it was just really cool to 
finally be a part of that tradition that I'd watched, you know, my older sibling go through and watch my parents go through. So finally doing it was incredible. And, you know, I genuinely felt that presence of self-discipline and patience and just going through those hours of the day. So a typical day like at home would be going and waking up around like four or five in the morning. And, you know, my entire family would be awake as well. So we'd be making eggs together, like smoothies, the whole house would be awake. So it's not like we had anyone to wake up. So we were just noisy all together. And honestly, just getting in as much food as I could into my body was like, you know, the main objective. So doing that with my family was just like really amazing. And, you know, I would usually sleep throughout the entire day. And like I said, I called myself nocturnal. So I would sleep the entire day and when I would wake up, it'd be sundown. So it'd be time to eat again. And we do like special dinners every single night. We like treat these dinners more than like a typical family dinner would be. It's, it includes like my extended family, you know, family, friends, we all come over, whoever's house it is, we'll switch off every other day but it's all Arabic foods. So I think that's what I guess made it feel really special is that, you know, we're not just eating like, you know, my mom's spaghetti and meatballs. It'd be something that would take a lot of effort and passion to go into. And that's also something that I got to be a part of, you know, coming together at the end of the day is just really, really special. And it's something that I'm really, really happy to be a part of. Given the fact that you're not home to celebrate this holiday with your family, how do you persevere through times that may be challenging? Growing up doing it, I found it a little bit challenging because obviously your your body is not used to not eating throughout the day. And it's it's something that you have to like adapt to. And by the time the 30 days are over, you're like, oh, I don't want it to be over. Like I'm I'm loving this so much. But I think some of the challenges that I faced here at UGA, being my first year fasting here alone, is that loneliness and, you know, not being able to sit down at the end of the day, you know, with my family or friends and kind of be like, oh my God, like today was so hard. Like, I don't, I don't know how I even went through the day fasting, like sharing those memories with people who like truly understand where you're coming from is something that I've struggled with a bit. And also I live in a sorority house. So they have, we have like meals throughout the day. We have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So during those times where I would usually go downstairs and eat with all of my friends, I'm just now sitting like cooped up in my room, you know, not being able to take that time of the day to socialize with them and like see what's happening. I'm just kind of like stuck in my room and it's hard because, you know, I don't, I don't want to go outside and like exercise or like, you know, waste energy because then I'm going to get thirsty. So it's, it's a lot to adapt to here at UGA, but what I found really helpful is reaching out to other people because there are definitely other Muslims at UGA who are going through the exact same thing. So it wasn't until, you know, kind of late in the fasting period that I reached out to MSA, which is Muslim Student Association. After I went to one of their iftar nights, and iftar means like the dinner at sundown, I went to one of their events, and it was actually just really amazing to sit down and connect with people who truly understand what I'm going through 
and it's fun to you know I don't know them super well and they're kind of like strangers to me but we share that same common ground so it's cool how that just fasting can connect you with people um, when you didn't think it could so I think that you know reaching out and just being as vulnerable as I can has been the most helpful thing and now I know what will be really helpful in the future and what um, I need to do. And lastly, what do you hope people learn after reading your story? Well, I think, you know, now more than ever is a time to be more inclusive and be more aware of the people around you. So, you know, whenever I say, people always ask me, I mean, it's a question I get every year, like, oh, like really no water? Like, I, I can't believe you do that. Like, how do you even survive throughout the day? So I guess just being more, I guess, aware of those things and maybe like looking it up before and learning more about it can really shed light on how beautiful it is because that's something that I didn't really understand when I was really, really young. It would feel like whenever I was like 12 or 13, I'd be like, wow, like I'm really out here starving myself. Like, I don't know like what's so special about that. But as I matured and I really learned what it's about, it's it's more of like a time to self-reflect and walk into other people's shoes. And there are millions of people out there who have no food, no water. They have no roof above their heads. And that's something they have to endure every day. And stepping into their shoes at such a young age really showed me how important it is to you know, consider more than just yourself and the people that you surround yourself with. So. I would say that trying to learn more about it, like go ahead, ask another Muslim questions about Ramadan, like be curious about it because I love when people like will ask me like genuine concerning questions like, wow, like, and they're actually interested. So I think that, you know, reaching out to people and showing them that you're interested um, is probably a really good way to learn more about it and be more self-aware. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Dania, for coming on and sharing your experience with me. Thank you so much for having me. And that was The Front Page. The Front Page is a production of the Red and Black Publishing Company. This episode was co-produced by Michaela Cohen, Dania Kalaji, and myself, Sarah Detweiler. The Front Page is sponsored by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to download our new app, and we hope you tune in next time.